Grace to you and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Years ago, when I was at Concordia University learning Greek, I found that it was challenging. In fact, it was very challenging. Now, it wasn't a big college, not like Eli and I. I know many of you guys are probably going to be watching that later today, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't that kind of a school. It wasn't big, but yet, for some reason, they had tutors aplenty for Greek It's because it was challenging and it was difficult, especially at the speed and the pace in which we learned. And so my tutor was named Mike. Mike was a good guy. And uh, we would go up to a room they had actually set aside specifically for this purpose, and I would work with Mike, and he would help me. And, and then one day, we, we, after, after I got through Greek 1, we started translating the text. Now, whenever you translate a text, it's not like you speed read. You go through one, two verses, maybe. And so it takes a while to kind of get into it, to kind of get going. We had started on the Gospel of John because that was what my assignment was. And we had made it all the way through verse 19 of chapter 1. And then we waited three days. And we came back. And I started on verse 20. Now verse 20 is John the Baptist speaking. And he is talking about how he is not the Christ. In fact, that's actually how the verse goes. He said, I am not the Christ. Now, here's the thing. We had waited three days. And I didn't know the Gospel of John near what I should have. And so in my mind, Jesus was talking. And so I read that, and I looked up, and I took to Mike, and I said, I can't, that's not right. I did something wrong. And he's looked at me, he's like, no, you, you got it, you got it. I was like, no, there's no way Jesus just said, I am not the Christ. And then Mike started laughing. Because that's the kind of friends we are. We laugh at each other's mistakes. And he informed me that, no, it was, in fact, John the Baptist that was talking in chapter 1, verse 20, saying he is not the Christ. It's funny. You know, we, we talk about grammar and context and all that kind of, and sometimes it can seem really nitpicky. But yet, at times, it is those small things that can make all the difference. Those small things that seem so insignificant in a moment, in a blink of an eye, but yet... They can radically change the way we read things, the way we see things. Take our Old Testament lesson for today. Our Old Testament lesson for today is one that you've probably heard many, many a times. And you've probably had some questions about it, would be my guess. Most people have. How is it that Jacob wrestles God? How is it that Jacob prevails? He wins. How does that happen? He's God. The way most of us read this story, it goes something like this. Jacob, left by himself, wrestles with God, and he wins. And God doesn't know what to do, and so he breaks out his God powers, and he breaks his hip. And that's how the story goes. But you know why you read it that way? You read it that way because long time ago, some ancient rabbis put in some clarification markers into the text. It's not in the Hebrew. What I mean is the name Jacob. If you read the text in the original Hebrew, it's by far more confusing, by the way. He wrestled with a man, and then 
he prevailed, and then he talked to him, and he broke his hip, Jacob's hip. It's a lot of pronouns, and that's the way it goes. He did this to him. With one little adjustment, the entire story can change. Now, I realize that even as I say this, most popular commentaries would read it kind of the way we have it. But yet, there's a lot of ink spilled in trying to understand where the pronouns fall and who's saying what to whom. It's a little bit more confusing than what we at first think when you read it in the original Hebrew. If you believe that God says both statements toward the end, you come up with a completely different picture. Here's the picture. Jacob sends his family across the river. By the way, it's a cowardly move. Esau is coming with 400 soldiers. And Jacob firmly believes that Esau wants to kill him. So what does he do? He sends his family, his wife, and his children across the river. Basically, as a buffer. They have to go through my family and kids before they get to me. That is what Jacob is doing. And so he's left by himself on the other side of the river. And there he begins to wrestle with a man who we later find out is God. And this man beats him up to the point where he cannot break free. And finally, whenever Jacob realizes that he can't win, he basically cries uncle. And then, as an added bonus, God breaks the socket of his hip. It's almost as if God is saying, don't fight with me. And he even gets the name. God names him, struggles with God. It says that he endured, that is, he lived. And in fact, that's what he names the place after he gets up to leave. The face of God, because I saw God face to face and I lived. And it's shortly after this that Jacob will go and he will walk across the river and he will walk before his family and he will bow down before Esau. That's actually where chapter 33 begins and what it starts with, the story it starts with. Now realize, regardless of which way you want to read it, you end up in the same place. Either Esau was wrestling with a man all night and he's still pretty beat up or he was beaten up all night. Either way, he's still limping. And ultimately, it's that that will actually save him. Because Esau, coming with his 400 soldiers, is probably not there to be nice to Jacob. Yet, what does Esau see when he comes? He sees a broken man. A man who is limping in front of his family, in front of his children, in front of his servants, who then bows down before him. A pitiful sight, and Esau has mercy on Jacob. It is in Jacob's suffering and in his pain that he finds mercy. Jacob, all too often, is considered a type of Christ. Not that, not that he does everything right and perfect, but that you can see certain illustrations in the life of Jacob that point us, that direct us towards Christ. And you can certainly see that here. Because we have a God who looks down upon us and he sees his son, his suffering son, a son that was beat up, that was abused, that was hung upon a cross, 
and he has mercy on you. He has mercy. He has mercy not because of all that you have done, but because of what he has done on your behalf. We have a gracious heavenly father that looks down and sees his son and grants you forgiveness and grants you mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us now stand as we can confess our